0: So exciting to see what's going on around the city in a whole lot of congregations and through Common Good and um, at the same time to be aware that there's so much going on here in Durbanville. So cool to walk in and see the book drive in full flight Uh, this morning. We're going to continue specifically over the next few weeks just telling some amazing stories about God's heart for compassion and justice and how we are engaging. Um, Just while we're on the topic of good news, I wanted to... uh, just take a moment to do something we do every year, and those of you that have been around may be aware that every year we publish an annual review as a congregation, and um, some people have seen those before, and maybe you think, oh, that sounds like a financial report, but it's, it's so much more than that, and we believe it's really important to put out an annual review on a yearly basis, which you can find on our website if you go to commonground.co.za, go to Durbanville, you'll see that it's on that Durbanville page as of now. Please don't do it just yet. Um, the reason we think it 's important is it gives us an incredible opportunity to both uh, celebrate and be accountable uh, firstly to celebrate it 's incredible um, just what you see when you freshly take stock of an entire year and you ask the question, "What has God done in and through us and so what you will find in that report is a whole lot of numbers but you 'll also find a whole lot of stories you 'll find uh, just stories about how we as a congregation, how we as a citywide church um, have been involved in uh, being jesus hands and feet um, to to the city. And so if you like numbers, you'll see a whole lot of those. Um, if you like stories, You'll see a whole lot of those. Please feel free to download that from our website as of today and just celebrate with us what God is busy doing. The other reason we believe it's important is accountability. Um, We know that a whole lot of people are pooling together and just uh, resourcing financially the realities of what goes on in and through this church. And it's a really good and healthy exercise to make sure that we're being as impactful as we can as that happens. And so we think it's an honoring thing uh, to those that have pooled together their, their resources and their energies and their efforts and their vision, um, that we do take stock on an annual basis of what God has done, is doing through us and in us. And uh, maybe just one real highlight this year, I know I've just mentioned this isn't a financial report, but just so thrilled to just be celebrating um, the financial measurements of last year. Headlines, if you open that report, you'll see that our finances have grown by about 15%. And uh, our, our expenses are actually lower than ever. The net result of that has been that we've, we came out of last year um, with 300,000 rand um, to pay back some deficit that we historically had. I don't know if you remember, I stood up a year ago or just over a year ago and said, hey, we're having to make some tough calls. We're having to actually decrease our staffing complement because if we keep going at the current uh, rate, we're, we're running up deficit that we're going to have to pay back. And praise God that that has paid off, that we've seen both an upswing in terms of people's giving, and we've seen a containment of our expenses. And the result of that is we, we were carrying a 400,000 rand deficit. We've knocked 300,000 of that over the course of last year, and we've got 100,000 to go. If we keep going, if everybody keeps bought in, um, we're soon going to be in a place where not only are we self-sufficient financially as a congregation, which is a whole new realm for us, uh, but we're able to knock that deficit, and we're able to start to actually be a benefit to other congregations and other church plants and other things around us. Please enjoy that report. You can download it later, and uh, there will be a hard copy also available at our Involvement Desk uh, from next week, so do feel free to pop by the Involvement Desk and check that out if you prefer a hard copy. Over to preaching. I have the privilege today of preaching a once-off message uh, that I'm really, really excited about. I'll be totally honest where this message comes from. A few weeks ago, I had uh, the amazing privilege of just sitting in a session with a guy by the name of Terry Virgo. You may have heard of him, just an incredible Bible teacher who founded a worldwide uh, church planning apostolic network called New Frontiers many years ago. The man is just a giant in the faith, and he preached this message that was just so good Good for my soul that I walked out of it going, ah! I'm thrilled and I'm tormented. I'm thrilled because that was so good for my soul. I'm tormented because every person in Common Ground Church Durbanville needs to hear what Terry just preached. And literally the next day I found out, I get an opportunity to preach a once-off message as we take a break from our series in Mark. And I was like, hey, I'm just unashamedly basically gonna preach Terry's message. So all uh, credit to Terry Virgo. If you enjoy any quote or Bible verse this morning, it's all Terry and Jesus. <laughs> but, but before I get to preaching, just what did my soul such good, I wanna reflect on why it did my soul good. Uh, I, I think this message has done my soul so much good. This, this scripture I've just freshly embraced because I'm very aware of both the frailty of my soul and the reality of my circumstance. And as a pastor, I have the reality of also being aware of many circumstances in this room today. I mean, the truth is that as I preach this message, I'm radically aware that there's not a person that I preach it to who is sitting there going, Bruce, I find my life to be in absolute equilibrium. I find everything resolved and I find every area of my life sorted. It's kind of just tick, it's all come together and I'm just living the dream in every way. For many of us in the room today, the reality, just the the place where pressure and suffering meets our lives is in the financial realm. We live in this incredibly challenging economic climate. There's some in the room who are going, hey, actually, praise God, I don't know how, but we're doing okay there. But perhaps your challenge is something totally different. Perhaps it's relational strain, an unresolved strife in relational connections. I'm well aware there are many people in the room who are battling through very real health issues that are ongoing and so frustrating. And the fact that the medical faculty doesn't seem to be able to engage Some of us, maybe we've got all of those things in line and uh, there are other stresses. We lie in bed at night and go, hey, if I look at how many things in my life are actually coming together well, there should be peace and satisfaction in my soul. And yet I find myself in this constant fight to reconcile the reality of where I find myself with this good and powerful God that we've just sung about. And I want you to know, as I preach this message, I join you with a very real sense of frailty in my soul as I preach God's word. Myself and Natasha were joking the other day in our kitchen and saying like there there's certain songs in church that in certain seasons are just so hard to sing because our mouth can be singing them but like deep down inside us we've got this little honesty meter that's going, (laughs) the words come out of my mouth aren't really what's going on in the state of my soul. And one of those songs that I just have struggled with lately, Forgive Me (laughs) for Confessing Sin from the Pulpit, is the song that we sing. I'm putting pressure on the worship team. They're like, oh my goodness, that's on our set list next week. And what a rich time of worship this morning. I'm so glad you people are coming back here and we, we, over communion, are going to continue to worship because that was just magnificent. But the song I've been battling to sing is that song that gets to that point where we sing, You're never going to let, never going to let me down. And just, worship team, I'm still available. (laughs) Been available for nine years now, I think. (laughs) And the problem is that the honesty meter in my soul is often really singing these words. You're often going to let, often going to let me down. See, my soul also doesn't sing that well. And that may sound really hectic. That might, might sound like some sort of accusation against Jesus and his faithfulness. But actually, that's not what I'm aware of at all. You see, this, this thing of reconciliation is the reality that as I sing words that are different from what's going on in my soul, I'm freshly made aware that I have this tendency to drift away from what the Bible teaches me. I, 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 ten, I have this tendency to drift towards some sort of gospel that says, like, God, I signed up to you, the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, and, and kind of your role in my life now is to, is to bring equilibrium to my life. You see, there's areas of suffering and there's areas of pain, and there's areas where I don't quite understand what's going on, and surely, if this is about anything, this is about you bringing all those things into line, but, but you haven't, and you don't seem to be. And I say all of that, with a whole lot of you looking at me really worried, thinking our budget's going well. Maybe we could get a new pastor. (laughs) I say all of these things because this is why this message did such good to my soul as Terry brought biblical truth. He put up a simple scripture, Paul's charge to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, where Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, what Paul says to Timothy here is simple but radical. He says, essentially, we're in a fight. The concept of our lives, the the playground or the scenario of where our lives play out is in in the context of of warfare And actually, if we read the Bible start to finish, what we discover is this is exactly true. And when we open the Bible, we don't find a whole lot of principles like here are six rules for how to work your marriage and four rules on how singleness works and seven rules on how finances work. What we find is a story of people engaged in a war, people contending for the purposes of God in a fallen world that is broken and twisted out of what? It was meant to be. We find people like David having to wage war against Goliath and the Philistines. We find people like Joshua in the promised land and yet having to occupy the promises of God. We find people like Gideon hidden away in a wine press, going, maybe this will all just pass over at some point, and God having to say, Gideon, you've got it wrong. This is not a time for you to be hiding in a wine press, thank God, you just do it all. God, you just bring things back into equilibrium, and then I'll come join you. I'll emerge from the wine press when the time is just right. <clears throat> it's a story of crossing the Red Sea with the Egyptians chasing behind. God describes himself as a warrior. At one point, a guy by the name of Nehemiah raises, uh, is raised up by God, and he goes back. His dream is to be a builder. His dream is to go back and build the wall of Jerusalem so that it can experience protection and safety and provision once again. But we find Nehemiah, the builder, the man with a plan, with a trowel in his one hand and a sword in his other hand. And God says to him, you're going to build, but to build anything worthwhile and lasting in this life, you're also going to have to learn to fight. And my soul has been done such good by being reminded again that we are called to fight. And the second point I want to make out of this is that we're not just called to fight, but to fight by faith. This should be good news. Because this is not just a fight, this is not just God looking down on us and saying, hey, life is going to be a struggle, and just suck it up and put on your big boy pants and just get on with it and try your best, because it's going to be hard. That's not the kind of fight that the Word of God introduces us to. Paul is very clear that Timothy is to fight the good fight of faith. You see, faith is the sphere where the battle rages. Faith is the place where we learn what it is to contend for the purposes of God. Perhaps if, if you go to the Old Testament, you read on the surface, you read a story like, say, the story of David, perhaps you'll come to the shallow conclusion that David is all about fight. You know, David, it's kind of military strategy, and it's taking land, and it's working out what it means to be the people of God in this military context. But actually, if you read the story again, you read some of the Psalms, You understand that David's fight has got very little to do with uh, uh, a military victory and a lot to do with what's going on in here. God, Psalm 51, God, I've sinned against you. God, I've doubted you. I've doubted your plans and purposes. The context of that Psalm is I've gotten my eyes off the kingdom and I've been seduced by a next-door neighbor. God, would you restore a right spirit to me and restore to me the joy of my salvation? You see, there's this fight going on for, for David's soul. If David can be a man of faith, a man who believes to the core of his being that God is for him and God is with him and God is consistently working out his plans, well then, all the military uh, victories, those will just come as he secures his soul in what it means to believe God. And perhaps you have thought at times, like faith is this like bonus factor in a Christian's life. You know, there's living, there's living as a Christian and trying to do the right thing and then there' like these few uh, Christians, they, they, those guys who live by faith. Maybe like in your mind you hear live by faith and you immediately uh, picture a missionary in Madagascar, you know, just kind of living, just not knowing where the next meal is coming from. But the Bible's very clear that faith isn't some sort of optional extra. It's the bread of our faith. It's the substance of the fight that we're called to. You see, faith is so powerful because the opposite of it is the root of sin. You see, doubt, unbelief is where sin all stems from. And if we trace back to the Garden of Eden... Where sin starts, it starts with a tree and a piece of fruit and a temptation, but actually none of that is the reality. The reality is the question that the devil asks of Adam and Eve. Did God really? Did God really say that? Do you think he really means that? Do you not feel like maybe he's trying to hold out on you, like he's got all this good stuff and he's just giving you enough of it? And you can have your little Garden of Eden experience. Why why don't you eat this and find out? Why don't you see if there's maybe more to this than just trusting God, just believing that God actually has good plans and purposes for your life? And I'm sure you would have found this, that every time we move away from faith, every time the essence of our Christ following moves away from God, I know that you're good. And I know that you delight in me. And I know that you're working out your plans in my life, even when I can't understand them. Whenever we move away from that into a place of God, I'm I'm not quite sure, actually. Then religion becomes really hard work. Following the rules becomes really exhausting. We're called not to unbelief, but to a belief in a God who loves us and delights in our soul. We also fight because the enemy is real. I've mentioned this already. I know in in kind of a vaguely charismatic church, we don't like to ascribe any sort of power to the devil because God has won it all. And in the ultimate sense, he has, but the reality is the, the devil is still very much at work and has pulled off some amazing things. I mean, the devil is the one who's able to come to Adam who has it all, blissfully perfect, has the ultimate human experience, and he's able to tempt Adam and Eve away from God's purposes into the sinful purposes of themselves. He took out Adam because he's subtle and he's cunning and he's able. And and notice how he does it. He does it not by dramatically appearing, you know, as any horror movie would have him appearing. He appears in a form that subtly undermines God's love and God's provision. Did God really? Is, I, I know what he said, but, but did he mean it? Is, is there not stuff he's holding out uh, on you from? And we fight the fight of faith because there's an enemy that's real. One of the biggest dangers of our age and our sophistication, in this age we live in, we, we, we tend to forget about supernatural realities. The Bible doesn't do that at all. The Bible just makes us aware. If you were in our Ephesians series, you would be aware that a major theme of the book is these powers that contend for the state of things. We fight because the enemy is real and he will lie to you. He'll lie to you about yourself, he'll lie to you about God, he'll lie to you about others, those around you, he'll lie to you about your circumstances and paint them in a light. And it's actually quite far removed from the reality. He's been a liar from the beginning. And the Bible tells us that he accuses us day and night. And just comes after us. He accuses and sows doubt. We fight the fight of faith by acknowledging that reality and not living in a world that says, like, Google will solve all our problems and just having a site with the stats on coronavirus. That'll get us there eventually if we can just process the data right. No, we live in a world where far more is going on than that. And we have to fight. We have to say, no, no, that's not true. God did really say. God does really love. God really knows how to work things out to ultimate good, no matter if it takes longer than I understand it to take, or it happens in a different way than I believe it should happen. No, No, I refuse to buy into the voice. We fight by faith, by acknowledging the real work of the enemy. And we also fight so that we will win and not lose. You see, in this age of neutrality, we kind of think, hey, everybody's... We live in an age where everybody can just choose their own path and figure out their own truth for themselves and and move towards whatever they feel to be best. That's not the biblical picture of what the walk of a Christ follower is like. See, the walk of a Christ follower is a fight that takes by faith what God has taken already for them. And the flip side of that is that if they don't, there's much to be lost. In some cases, there's just distraction. There's people who wander away from the faith and are pierced by many afflictions. And that's one way that just the sad reality that the devil manages to move people far, far away from God. But I think there's another danger that's at play. It's just kind of the loss of the fullness of what God would have for us. I don't think the devil's always interested in just uh, making sure that everybody is utterly destroyed. Sometimes he's okay with everything just being utterly lower than what God had planned. And so there's a very average marriage waiting for you if you don't contend for what God has for your marriage. See, there's a very lonely or compromised form of singleness waiting for you if you don't take what God has for you. There's a very shady way of doing business. There's a very questionable way to go about business dealings if you don't take what God has for you. There's a version you paint of yourself that's far below how God sees you if you don't take what God has for you in terms of the way you view yourself. See, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you must fight the fight of good faith, the good fight of faith. By implication, if you don't, you'll lose out on some amazing things that God has for you. We fight so that we will win and not lose. The last point I wanna make this morning, I wanna spend the most time on this one because it's where the good news of the gospel intersects all of this reality. Reality is that we fight by laying hold of God's calling on our lives. How do we fight? Do we just get up and be more Christian? Do we just go after things and in our self-determination, carve out a better way of living? That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Look what Paul says in the next chapter of Timothy. He says to Timothy, I want you to know the God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and His grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ before the beginning of time, and it's now been revealed, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light, through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul says to Timothy, in essence... Timothy, I don't want you to be misinformed about what it means to fight by faith. I want you to know that there is a God who had purposes for your life even before the earth was formed, and He took hold of those purposes, and He put Jesus on the cross and put your sin and your shortfall on Jesus Christ so that you could be fully assured of His plans and purposes over your life. You see, the worst thing that could happen in what I'm preaching this morning is that somebody could walk out of this room going, I'm such a failure, man. I mean, Bruce is right. Like, there's this magnificent fight, and apparently I'm supposed to have an amazing marriage or be perfect in my singleness or or have this business that is just bulletproof and just marked by constant financial revival. I knew it. I'm a mess. Surely. This is not the kind, of purpo- the kind of person that God could work through. And Paul anticipates this when he tells Timothy, Timothy, if you want strength to come to your fight, figure out, understand that God ordained the purposes from you, for your life even before you were born. <laughs> knowing everything you would live in, knowing your failures, knowing your inconsistency, And yet he still purposed them to you. Maybe you hear this message and you say, man, I'm a mess. I can't live in this reality. Here's the reality. Jesus Christ knew what a mess you would be. And he carved out plans and purposes for your life. He knew that your consistency levels would be nothing like Jesus Christ. And so he had Jesus Christ come and live in perfect consistency. To nail your inconsistency to the cross. And so Paul says to Timothy, lay hold of what God's called you to. If there is a God who had purposes and plans for your life long before you were born, what a waste to not take hold of those. If there was a God who knew you to the core of who you would be and still said, regardless of that, I still choose you. I still have purposes for you. I still want you to see you live in my plans. What a waste to not lay hold of that. And what I'm preaching this morning, it's important that you don't get the wrong idea and start to fight for the wrong things. You see, this is not some sort of fight that earns God's approval. This is not some sort of fight that maybe increases the chances of you making it to heaven one day. See, God already anticipated long ago that that was an impossibility. And he sent Jesus to the cross to take care of all those things. He sent Jesus to fight for all of those things that we would never be able to fight for. And so this is a fight on the basis of God's choosing, on the basis of God's love. On the basis of everything that God has accomplished on your behalf. This is a calling not by works, but by utter grace from all of eternity. And if you've never come to the conclusion that God had a plan for your life when He saved you, I'm hoping that today courage will come into you. I want us to see in this verse that we just read that Paul is fighting a very real fight. Verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am. And yet Paul says, I'm free of shame. I gave up on the idea long ago that God called me into some sort of comfortable life. I gave up on that idea long ago. I also gave up on the idea that God called me on the basis of my merit. Paul will say in another place that God was pleased To reveal in me the chief of sinners, the riches of his boundless grace. You see, we see in Paul this reality a man who is fighting the good fight of faith, a man whose life is full of sufferings and yet full of purpose and glory. But I want to land by seeing who Paul is referencing as he fights his fight. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, Paul is not out on a frontier fighting a fight that he's figuring out as he goes. Paul is in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Paul is in the footsteps of the one who fights the ultimate fight, the Son of God who comes to earth and who is tempted in every way, just like we are, who experiences what it means to be discouraged as circumstances don't align to to what he sees as the perfect plan of God. But Jesus Christ who endures and who sees it through even to death. I'm gonna ask the, the, the musos to come up so long. And so this morning, I think my big hope Just reminding us of this fight, is that as we take communion together, as we hold in our hands what Jesus says is His blood and His body broken for us, we hold in our hands the fight, the extent that Jesus Christ goes to, the the fight that He takes on to ensure that we're able to stand and confidently fight the fight that God calls us to as we, as we hold this morning in our hands Jesus Christ going to the ultimate degree of this fight. My prayer is that courage would come back to many of our souls. Maybe you are in this place and you kind of realize as I, as, a, as I preach out of this scripture that maybe there's been a leaning back and that maybe you're in a place where you're saying, God, if you could just bring some things into equilibrium, I'm ready to lean forward again. I'm, I'm ready to live out my faith again. And this morning, I believe God is just calling many people back to say, continue to fight the fight of faith and the power of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask us all to stand together. And then I'm gonna pray for us. And then I'm gonna invite you to come and just get hold of, this bread and this grape juice, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna just encourage you to take that in your own time. We're gonna sing a couple of songs in worship. And as we do that, I going to encourage you to hold in your hands the fight fought on behalf of you and allow the Spirit to put faith and courage in your own heart, uh, own heart to continue to fight for the fullness the faith that God has for you. God, we thank you for this meal that we're about to share. We stand here as imperfect people with a frailty in our souls and much in our circumstances that is difficult for us to resolve. But we do stand here as people that know that you've demonstrated your love towards us. You've demonstrated your love by choosing us before the foundation of the world, by laying purpose on our lives and then sending Jesus Christ, not just to be an amazing example of what it looks like to fight the fight of faith, but to hang on the cross and to defeat the powers that should have dominated over our lives so that we could live in the fullness of what you have for us. We present to you today, God, the honesty of our frailty, the honesty of of all we are. And we ask you to fill us with courage and to fill us with power and to fill us with assurance in a way that would cause us to continue to lean in and to walk in the plans and the deeds prepared for us in your sovereign wisdom. Amen. If you wouldn't mind in your own time coming to the communion tables, if we could have, we've just got an extra table out in the middle, so if you guys could maybe come up here. And you guys can go there and and then just in your own time as we continue to worship, take hold of what God has done for you.